sweet. Oh, I love that. Um, hey, again, Psalm 100, Luke 17. Uh, let me briefly kind of catch you up to speed in case you are new or newer, like what's going on. So we started this year, 2019. We went through the book of Philippians. We went through the book of Nehemiah. For us as a, as a church, we kind of said, hey, 2019 is the year to build. So we're kind of closing out this year by doing a series on spiritual formation or really spiritual disciplines. Here's the idea. We're just trying to ask this question, how do we grow? How do we change? And how do we really become more like Jesus? How do we not come every week, hear a message, and forget it? How do we apply and practice the teachings of Jesus, the way of Jesus? How do we not just, again, hear another sermon and leave? So we're doing this series on spiritual formation. If you hear that, like, what is spiritual formation? Our little definition is being formed by the Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus through timeless practices and disciplines. We are being formed by the Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus through timeless practices and disciplines. We want to take on these uh, spiritual practices, these spiritual disciplines. We want to take these on so we can, one, enjoy Jesus, become more like him, experience revival in our day, pray for God's kingdom to come, pray for God just to do a new work. And we just want to be open and ready for the Spirit's use. And to do that, we want to be disciplined. All right? Amen? Yes? You agree? And so here's the idea for us and why we're doing this. Everyone's being formed by something or someone. You're either becoming more and more like Jesus or you're becoming less and less like Jesus. Everyone's being formed. There's unintentional spiritual formation and there's intentional spiritual formation. And we've kind of talked through this early on, but everything shapes us, movies, books, uh, the news, what we hear, what narratives of life we believe, all of that is shaping us. And so as followers of Jesus, we take on new habits, new practices, really. We take on the word of God. We, we have the Holy Spirit who changes. We have community. And so we're trying to study this, the teachings of Jesus and these different disciplines. And so maybe you remember this, and I just want to make sure you guys are fully aware of this. We've talked about the disciplines of engagement and the disciplines of disengagement. So, I mean, the disciplines of engagement, we've talked about serving. We've talked about praying, like we're engaging in things. But disengagement is like silence and solitude, Sabbath. We've talked about spiritual disciplines of disengagement. We need both. There's seasons to engage, and really weekly, daily, I need to engage and disengage. Times of meditation and quiet, times of stillness, times of serving and evangel. Like, there's constant like, ebb and flow of just spiritual disciplines. I hope this is making sense. So here's what we're doing today. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at and talking about the practice, listen, the practice of celebration and giving thanks. And I think this is a lost art. We're really good, I think, just in modern day, the world is really good at partying. We're not so good at celebrating. Uh, we're not so good at giving thanks. And this is not just like, is this because it's Thanksgiving? Yes and no. Uh, we were going to do this anyways. It just fits really well. Uh, but we want to talk about just how do we practice giving thanks? How do we create the spirit of just gratefulness? God, how do you make us and make our people more thankful? Just more appreciative of you and what you've done. This is probably the discipline I feel like God's had to shape me in the most. Um, I'll share briefly. I, I think here's the thing. If, if you struggle with um, whether it's just being cr really, really critical, maybe you're cynical, just the sarcasm sometimes overtakes you. Uh, maybe it's hard for you to be thankful for things. It's hard for you to be grateful. You can never just kind of look at your life and life circumstances and say, God, thank you. Um, then I hope and I believe this is for you, and I think this is for everyone. Um, I will say this for me early on. I think in my early 20s, like many people in their early 20s, when it came to Jesus, I think my zeal for God, my zeal for the church made it almost like I was just very critical. I was critical of people. 
I was critical of churches. You know, in your early 20s, for some reason, you know, you know everything. This is the way it should be done, right? And I feel like over the years, the more and more I just am spending time with Jesus and his word, I'm like, I don't know, but I, know, I just want to know you. God, thank you for those other churches that are different than us. God, remove that spirit of criticalness. Like, I think of Paul in Philippians. He's like, you know what? Some people preach Christ from selfish motives. Others just preach Christ well. I don't, he's like, I don't care. Christ is being preached. And I feel like over the years, just that spirit of just being overly critical, and I think it's funny how I knew more in my early 20s than I know now, because um, God is just trying to do something different. I think just being, you know, thankful and grateful and praising him, God is just kind of renewing my heart and my mind. So here's what I'm trying to say. Do not downplay for a moment the importance of just as Christians, we need to learn to celebrate. As followers of Jesus, we should be the best celebrators. We should be the best at giving thanks. Amen. We should, and I think the world's looking for, like, where's the joy in Christians? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, like, we need this. We need this so much. Dallas Willard, who writes a lot about spiritual disciplines, maybe you've heard of him. I uh, might have mentioned him a couple times. Here's what he says. He says, listen, celebration here is one of the most important disciplines of engagement, yet most overlooked and misunderstood. It is the completion of worship, for it dwells on the greatness of God as shown in his goodness to us. This is what celebration will look like. And so we want to talk about this practice of celebrating, of giving thanks, and just enjoying God in this way. And I just pray that God would move a critical spirit, a victim spirit, a woe is me. Why is no one, why is no one, I just pray that God would just do something different in our church. We go, God, thank you, thank you for community, this imperfect community. God, thank you for your love and your grace. So let's just read Psalm 100. Can we do that? Psalm 100, we're just going to read that. It is just all about thanksgiving, praise, joy. Let's read this. Psalm 100. And uh, we'll read this and pray. Psalm 100, verse 1. It says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with, and you just say, enter in his gates with what? The thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be what? Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. I pray that God might just rewire our brain, how we view him, how we view others, how we view the gospel, how we view God's character and nature, and uh, that we, God would make us more into celebratory, uh, thankful people. Amen? Let's pray, and then we'll look at this. Uh, just look at God's word more in depth. Father, we just, um, we are thankful. I hope that we show that. <laughs> I hope that we sing that, that we live that. We express that more often to you and each other. God, make us just more aware of the present moment we're in. God, I just ask in this room that they would, uh, you'd remove the spirit of heaviness for the garment of salvation, for the spirit of praise. God, I just ask that uh, you would do something completely different in our, in our lives, that just Thanksgiving coming up, just the holidays coming up with Christmas, Lord, let it just be something where uh, we can just find uh, thanks in you more than even our circumstances or anything. God, I pray that this would not just be in theory, but that we'd walk this out in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, I think we've all seen a form of this, but there's something about just watching a young child, watching another young child enjoy something and they just cannot handle it. I know we've seen this, and I see this way too often, where a little boy or girl is enjoying a toy, and then what is it within that toddler's heart that is like, they cannot have joy, right? So if they have a balloon, they pop it. 
They build a tower, they break it down. They have food, they steal it. Like Micah, my four-year-old, loves to just, he cannot handle his nine-month-old sister having like even a stuffed animal. She'll just like look at it and laugh. And he just takes it. I'm like, what is that? Like, what is it within the heart of man where we cannot rejoice with those who rejoice? It's very difficult. Even today as adults, I, you see it. It's like, oh, another vacation for this person. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. Like, what is that? Why can't we just celebrate with others? There's something so difficult about giving thanks or rejoicing with those who rejoice. Not just that, but I just think that there's some, maybe you've been around people like this, maybe you are this, I have no idea, where it's just hard for someone to say the words thank you or do something for someone. It's like, oh, that's, that's cool. And you're like, thank. Like, you're like, I don't know if you've ever been around, like, why can't the words just kind of come out of their mouth? You're like, just thank you. You know, even with young kids now, it's like, that's what we're working on. Someone does something for my kids. Like, what do you say? Like, what do you say it? Like, there's just, it's hard to get it out. Um, and there's just something within us that's hard, it's hard for us to celebrate. It's hard for us to give thanks. I think it's, even as adults, it's very hard for us to give thanks. Because whether this critical spirit, whatever it is, it's just hard for us to give thanks. So here's what we're going to look at today. Uh, three thoughts, three points. You'll see them up here, and we'll look at this more in depth. Listen, celebrate and give thanks. Why? Number one, because it reflects God himself. Celebrate and give thanks when you don't feel like it, or I want to say in the midst of suffering, and there's a disclaimer to this. Number three, celebrate and give thanks because we're prone to forget. All right, so this is, let's just talk about this. Number one, celebrate and give thanks because it reflects God himself. Uh, the way you and I view God is essentially everything. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Uh, do we know this, that God is a joyful God? Do we know that God sings? Do you know that the Bible talks about how God laughs? Do you know that the Bible talks about how God is jo- not just joyful, but he's happy? I think it, do- it should change how we view God. I love how C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. I love that. The serious business of heaven is joy. Do you know that from page one to the last page of the Bible, there's a celebration, feasting, singing, enjoyment? Do you guys know in Genesis chapter one and two, when, when God's speaking creation into existence, when you read it in Hebrew, it's actually like a song. God is singing, he, he's singing the world into existence. Do we get that? We'll throw up the verses into you, but God's like, let there be light, and there was light, let there be animals, there are animals. And here's what he does, it says this over and over again. And it was, God is saying this, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. Do we see that? Six times, and it was good. The last time he says it, he says, God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. God is just singing the world into existence. Can I, say, can I just even point this out? This is not like an emotion. Like God is not some robot in heaven making something going, that is good. That is, like, there's an emotion attached to it. God's like, this is good. Do we see God in that way? I love in Genesis 1, it says, God bless them. God bless them. I want you to see from the very beginning, there's celebration, there's singing, there's God saying, this is good. To the very last book with Revelation, there's a feast in heaven with all those who believe in Jesus, with the Lamb of God, with Jesus. There's a feast, there's a party. I mean, we just see from beginning to end, God celebrates, God sings, God enjoys. Church, I really do believe this should shape who we are. Paul said it this way, the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but what? It's righteousness, peace, and, say the word, joy in the Holy Spirit. I would love for this to like be like osmosis, I don't know, carried over to followers of Jesus. How do we see the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? This is what we're trying to aim for. Do you know that Jesus, Jesus, was just had full, full of joy. John 15, 11, Jesus, it says this, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus, I'm joyful and I'm, I'm saying all these things. So I want your joy to be full. 
that is something that I don't know if a lot of Christians understand. God's like, I want you to have fullness of joy. I want you to have fullness of joy. God wants joy for our lives. I love this. God created this idea of feasts and celebrations. You guys know that uh, for the Feast of Passover, for Pentecost, uh, for uh, the Feast of Booths idea, they, they would actually go three times a year for a week into the city of Jerusalem, and for a week they would just celebrate. They'd praise God. They'd worship. They'd sing. They'd have wine. They would dance. For a week, three weeks a year, three weeks of vacation, every year, they would just party and have a celebration. I love that they linked the holiness of God with happiness. I love that they taught their kids, listen, you can love God and know God and be happy. You can love God and know God and celebrate and sing and have feasts. I love that God creates this idea of feasts. If you read Deuteronomy 14, God even says, go sell parts of your land or sell parts of your harvest. And he's like, and go buy grain and go buy fatted calves and go buy new wine and and celebrate during these feasts. God's like encouraging it. I don't know if we always see God in that light. I think sometimes we do see God as that cosmic killjoy. Who's that kid who's like, you built a fun tower? No, like maybe we see God in that way. And I really do think God's just trying to redefine this for us. That God celebrates, that God sings. I know you've heard this verse, but I still am amazed when I think about this. It's Zephaniah chapter 3. Listen to this. It says, The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God rejoices over you with singing. God sings over you. You know, there is something when you hold your baby, and you're putting your baby in bed at night or whatever it might be, there's something about, as a parent, you just sing to the baby. And you sing over it. You're like, love for this child. You just, you just, I'm not, I don't sing. I have a terrible voice. No one wants to hear it, trust me. But there's something where, like, I love to sing to them. I love to sing to my kids. There's something about it, because you're just like, I so love you. I'm going to sing. And God's like, I so love you. I just sing over you. I rejoice over you with gladness. Do you see God in that way? See, God's when who created this idea of feasting and celebration and giving thanks and singing. I absolutely love that. One church father from back in the day said, all of life is a festival since the Son of God has redeemed you from death. All of life is this giant feast since God has saved you. One other guy said this, to miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason for your existence. To miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason for your existence. Now, understand this. I, I'm not, I know there's a disclaimer to this. I'm not saying life will always be good. I'm not saying you'll always be happy in your circumstances. But there's something about if you have God, you have everything. There's something about you can have joy in the person of Jesus. You know, um, I love John Ortberg. He writes a lot about this idea of celebration and disciplines, and uh, he's a guy who says this, and church, please hear this. This is not just a quote. This is not just, this is something that I hope kind of God stirs in our hearts. He says this, John Ortberg, joylessness, listen, joylessness is a serious sin, one that religious people are particularly prone to indulge in. It may be the sin most readily tolerated by the church. It is rarely the object of church discipline, but how much damage have joyless Christians done to the cause of Christ? Wow. You've never seen like a church discipline meeting like, hey, you know what? We're going to have to disfellowship you because you just really lack joy. He's like, I'm not saying we would ever do that, but he's like, man, this is something you rarely see people go, man, this is a sin. Why, why, when you see someone walking with Jesus for 10, 15 years and you go, where's the joy of the Lord? I'm not saying you have to put on a fake smile. I'm not saying you have to fake it by any means. We'll talk about suffering in, in, in a second. But there is something where you go, but why don't you have that peace, that hope? Why don't you have that joy that Jesus says that your joy may be full? Is he, is he lying? What is he talking about, your joy being full? How do we have that? How do we pursue that? Listen, this is why we practice giving thanks. You see, we don't have joy, so we give thanks. We give thanks and God gives us joy. It's something we practice. And this is what we're trying to like, look at and explore. There's one person, and you guys know who this is, but there's one person who does not want you to have joy. There's one person who's trying to steal your joy. 
Listen to this. Uh, it says, the evil one, the devil, is pleased with sadness and melancholy because he himself is sad and melancholy. You don't hear that word anymore. He's, and, will be, and he will be so for all eternity. Hence, he desires that everyone should be like himself. Satan is miserable, so what does he want? He wants you to be miserable. Satan is joyless, so what does he want for you? He wants you to be joyless. You understand that God is the author and creator of joy. God is the author and creator of goodness, of, grad, of all of these things. And there's one person who wants to steal that from you. If you've ever heard of or read this book called Screw Tape Letters, it, it does kind of mess with you a little bit. It's, it's a great book by C.S. Lewis who writes, everything he writes is m- amazing. But in Screw Tape Letters, he's writing, about a younger, he's writing about this older demon's perspective, writing to a younger demon that he's basically mentoring or discipling. So it's C.S. Lewis writing from the perspective of, here's this elder demon saying, hey, younger demon, you want to get Christian, the Christian that you're in charge of? You want him to get to sin or stumble? He's giving him advice on how to do that. So here's one of the quotes from Screwtape Letters. It is uh, Screwtape writing to Wormwood. So the elder demon writing to the younger demon. Here's what he says. It's a longer quote, but listen. He says, never forget, listen, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasures in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are in a sense on the enemy's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure all the same, it is his, it is God's invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula to get the man's soul and give him nothing in return. That is what, re- that is what really glad- gladdens our father's heart. I love C.S. Lewis's like perspective. He goes, we know that our enemy, God, he's the one who created goodness. He's the one who created pleasure. We can't really ever do that. We have to create pseudo forms of that. We have to manipulate it and twist it. See, here, here's, I guess, what I'm trying to say. This is key. We must arrange life so that sin no longer looks good to us. We must understand that God created pleasure, that God created joy. Sin will try to pervert that and twist that. We must arrange our lives in such a way where sin no longer looks good to us. I think this is so profound that we say, you know what, God, you are the mentor of good things, and Satan and sin has perverted that and twisted that. I think that is significant. I'm right now listening to an audiobook called uh, The Power of Moments, and I just think if you're anyone, it's a, it's a great book. It's about talking about creating moments of significance for families, for business owners, for different things like that, and it's really profound. There's a quote that he says this in the book. He says, beware, listen, beware of the soul-sucking force of reasonableness. And here, here's what he's saying. Um, he's like, when you're on a family vacation, when you're trying to do something, create a memory for your family, and someone throws an idea that sounds crazy, and you're like, ah, I don't know, we don't have money and budget, I don't know if we have enough time. It's like, when, if you know it's going to create a great memory, he's like, beware of that person who's like Mr. or Mrs. Reasonable. He's like, he's like cast out that soul-sucking person. I love this thought. And, and here's even for us, like, God's love for us is lavish. It's not always reasonable. I think for us, like, we want to create moments for people to encounter God because you go, you know what? I love the thought of like God meets me and has met you in, in times of my life where it's not always reason. He showed love to me where it doesn't really always make sense. I love this idea that, listen, Christians should be the best at celebrating and doing things like this, even when it's not reasonable. 
I think, again, sadly, even for the younger generation, what happens is they might look at the church and they go, there's no joy, there's no life, I'm going to go to Coachella. <laughs> there's no celebrating, there's no any, and what we do is we go, I don't see anything here that can meet, the, and here's the thing, God has created pleasure, and he's created good, and he's created in a pure form, and we try to twist that and warp that, and we'll search it out in anything, else. and I think we got to, as a, the church, we got to restore that. We got to restore celebration. We got to restore singing. We got to restore praise. We got to restore giving thanks. We got to say this is a moment we should celebrate and enjoy and take in. Thomas Aquinas said, no man can live without joy. That is why one deprived of spiritual joy goes over to carnal pleasures. Do you hear that? No man or no woman can live without joy. God created us to enjoy, to enjoy him, enjoy each other, enjoy his creation. And he goes, and if you without that, you're just going to look at it for other things. We as a church should create that because we, we have a God who created that. We should stir that. So here's, here's the first thought or point. Why do we give thanks? Again, number one, because it reflects God himself. That's just who God is. And number two is this, and I want us to hear this, and this one's maybe a little tough for, for all of us. Um, celebrate and give thanks when you don't feel like it. Let me just say this. Celebrate and give thanks in the midst of suffering. Can I just point this out? Celebration and giving thanks is not a feeling. It's an act of faith. So when it, you celebrate or give thanks to God, for you might not always feel it, you might always want to, but it is an act of faith. Let me just kind of throw out some questions maybe you have, because maybe you're critical and cynical sometimes at heart like I, like I can be. Uh, here's a couple questions you might ask. How can I embrace joy among all the pain and suffering in the world? Is it right to be joyful in a world of hunger and violence and injustice? I imagine a room like this. There are many of you who are suffering or just going through with family, with friends, with life, and you're going, you're, t- you're giving me a Bible study on celebrating and giving thanks. And that's why I, do, I do want to give a disclaimer. I have, of course, absolutely. There's a time to laugh and dance and sing. There's a time to weep. We should weep with those who weep. We should never be uh, so disengaged with what's happening in someone's life. We're like, come on, man, just celebrate and rejoice. We should weep with that person. Absolutely. And here's what I'm trying to bring with that point, though. Um, The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn. Oh, how happy are those who mourn. There's something about those who've maybe grieved the most or walked through pain. Many times, many times in my own experience, those people understand joy better than anyone else. Or those people become extremely bitter. Obviously, it kind of depends on how they handle their suffering and their pain. But there are those who walk through crazy pain and suffering and grieving, and you go, how, how are you joyful? How do you have a peace that surpasses all understanding? And there is something about Jesus being the man of sorrows, yet he so- talks about his fullness of joy. Jesus, who faced suffering and sorrow more than anyone that's ever lived. He's, he's experienced death of best friends, crucifixion by being innocent, and yet he's also full of joy. Can I point something out? We'll throw these verses up here, but I want you to think about this. The night before Jesus was crucified, he's celebrating Passover. There's a celebration. It's a feast. And he's actually turning it into what we call communion. He's like, this is the new covenant I give you, and he's redefining some things. But do you know that the hours, hours before he's taken to be crucified, hours before he's scourged, he's praising God and thanking God and singing hymns to God. I don't know if I get that. It's, it's Matthew chapter 26. Listen to this verse. Uh, Matthew, or yeah, or Luke 22 will be our first one. Um, it says, Then Jesus said to them, With fervent desire, I desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks. Jesus goes, I'm about to suffer. I'm not going to drink of the food, fruit of the vine. I'm not going to have this until I'm in heaven with you guys. And it says he took the cup that represented his blood, and it says he gave thanks. He gave thanks. Uh, Matthew's version says about that very moment, not just that he gave thanks, but it says, and he sung a hymn. Uh, on Passover, they would sing the Hallel Psalms. That's Psalms 113 through 118. They would sing these Psalms of praise at Passover. Jesus knows he's about to be crucified, betrayed, beaten, denied, 
and he's thanking God and singing praises. He's singing the Hillel Psalms. This is something I don't know if I fully understand. Paul in 1 Corinthians says it's not just when he actually took the cup, but Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, it's in verse 24. He says, and when he took the bread, he had given thanks. So before the cup and before the bread, Jesus is giving thanks. Before this moments of just crucifixion and extreme suffering, he's thanking God. He's singing hymns to God. Now you go, but that's Jesus, right? Like he can do that. Like, I want to say this, in the moment, though, in the pain of his suffering and grieving, he's also thanking and praising God. And here's what I'm trying to point out to you, and I hope that, I hope that this is something that can resonate with all of us. The Bible is not saying you need to give thanks for everything, but it says give thanks in everything. So Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 said, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, listen, and what? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Church, please hear that. So here's what the Bible is saying. God is saying this. God is not saying rejoice for every terrible thing that happens, but he's saying rejoice or praise God or thank God in everything. There's an extreme difference. There's a difference between thanking God for everything and thanking God in everything. Let me just point out, God hates evil. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, we should hate evil. We should, I hate evil. You hate injustice. You hate suffering. You hate cancer. You hate you hate these things. That's okay. We're not told to give thanks. Oh, this person was diagnosed with terrible. God, we give thanks for that. No, we're giving thanks in that. Church, do you get the difference? There really is a significant difference. I'm not thanking him for that thing, but in the midst of it, I'm thanking him. In the midst of it, I'm looking to him. This, I think, is life-changing when we can practice this and get this. I'm not trying to say, some of you might say, oh, some people just have a disposition to being happier than others. Actually, maybe they spend a lot of hours in prayer and praise and just thanking God in the moments of pain and suffering. Maybe this is something God has developed in their lives over time. That's why we're talking about practicing giving thanks. Do you follow me on this? It's not just a disposition people have. It's something people have to practice and take on. This is so key. You know, I'm, I'm personally right now, my, my alone time with the Lord, reading through the book of Daniel, and I was kind of amazed by this sentence that really stood out. If you remember the story of Daniel, Daniel's the third in command, like really over all of uh, Persia or the Medes' kingdom. And if you remember, he's being more and more successful. The other rulers get jealous, and they say, let's create a law where for 30 days you can't worship or pray to any other god but our, but our kings. That's King Darius. So King Darius goes, yeah, I'll sign off on that. Darius loved Daniel. He liked Daniel. But he signs this law, this decree saying, you can only pray to me for 30 days. When Daniel hears this, he immediately goes and he prays. And here's what it says uh, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Listen to this. It says, when Daniel knew that, when he knew that the, the writing was signed, listen, it says he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed. And what did he pray? He gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. The decree said, hey, if you pray to anyone other than the king, you'll be thrown in this den filled with lions. As soon as he hears it being signed, he goes in his room with the windows open facing Jerusalem and he prays and he gives thanks. If I heard a decree that said, if you pray to your God and anyone finds out publicly, if you pray to your God, you'll be thrown to lions, it would say Josiah went to his room and he prayed and he freaked out, right? Like that's, it'd just be like he lost his mind. It says, Daniel just goes, thank you, God. Do you not, that phrase, it's not downplay. God, th he gave thanks. God, this was, no, why? This was his custom. What does that mean? This was his practice. Do we get this? This was his practice. His practice was three times a day, I'm gonna thank God. Three times a day, I'm gonna face Jerusalem, the place my heart longs for it to be at, the place where the temple was, it's destroyed by the Babylonians right before this. He goes, I'm gonna face this place, I'm gonna, I'm gonna praise and thank God. And as you know the story, he's thrown to the lions and he's delivered, and the people who wrote that law were thrown to the lions and they died. I mean, it's a great story. Um, but I just love that this is his practice, this was his custom. It's not, again, do you get this? It's not for everything give thanks. 
It's in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. What's, what's God's will? What's God's will for my life? In everything give thanks. I love when people ask that question because I usually go back to this verse. Like, in everything. Not for, but in it. Here, and here's why I want to say this. The Bible attaches anxiety and thankfulness hand in hand. It's really interesting. The Bible really does t- attach prayer and anxiety and thankfulness as like uh, one kind of thought. It's Philippians 4 verse 6. Paul says, be anxious for nothing but what? In everything, prayer and supplication, that means specific prayer, with what? Thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So Paul says, don't be anxious, but in everything when you pray, make sure you pray with the spirit of thanks. You, that you make your requests with thanks. That Paul attaches anxiety and maybe a lack of praying, that's a prayer of thanks, together, and says, no, pray differently now. Pray thanking God. It's crazy how when this becomes your custom, your practice, it just changes your perspective on life. Um, this is not meant to be, for me, like some theory thing, guys. I know that when someone talks about, hey, in the midst of pain and suffering, celebrate, give thanks. It can almost sound shallow. It can almost sound hurtful. It's not meant to be that. It's meant to say, let's look at Jesus. Let's look at Daniel. Let's look at Christians throughout the ages who are being fed to lions, singing hymns, who are being burned on fire, praising God. Worship. I mean, we're saying, God, kind of restore this joy, this strength that just can only come from you again. Again, for us, and I, I kind of updated you guys last week, but I just, I do want to fill you in. You know, we shared something that was very personal for us. You know, I, I mentioned last week how my mother-in-law, my, my wife's mom, is, has been walking through stage four brain, liver, and lung cancer. And uh, we got to go home and visit her uh, like a week and a half ago, or really like a week ago, and spend some time and love her. And she was moved to hospice. And we just got to pray with her and talk to her, and it's a beautiful time. Um, you know, with my wife's just permission, wanted to fill you guys in on that. You know, she did pass away yesterday. And the thing for us is it's still, we're still processing it. And we were praying last night before, just before today. And we just got to thank God for her life. Because this is not like some sad, hopeless thing. She loved Jesus. Her kids loved Jesus. Her grandkids loved Jesus. She's someone who got to live an awesome, beautiful life. For us, we're not thanking God for the cancer, but we're thanking God in it. We're not thanking God for her passing, but we're thanking God in it. And and in some ways, you are thankful because you go, God, thank you that she's relieved from this pain of it, the pain of hospice and just what she's walking through. And and it's one of those things where I love how Paul says, we sorrow. We sorrow. We grieve as others grieve, right? It's not that Christians don't grieve, but we don't grieve like the world grieves. We grieve with hope. We do. We, We don't sorrow as the world sorrows. We sorrow and we grieve with hope. That we talked about last week at the body, though you die, you shall live that death became a gardener when Jesus died and rose again. That, d- that death plants you in the ground, but you just rise again new. That that's what Jesus did to death. And so for us, it's one of those things we do ask for your prayers in the process of it, but this is not just to be a sermon point. My, my point is this. This is not just theory as Christians. We're not trying to live this theory. We're not trying to say, hey, you know, just put on a fake smile when you're suffering. We're trying to say, you can sorrow, you can grieve, but by God's grace and through the gospel of Jesus, we can actually also have this hope that brings us joy that says, God, thank you for that life and thank you for her legacy and thank you for their kids and grandkids and it's a beautiful thing for us. So my point of this is the Bible can be in sermons, I know can become theory to us where you hear something week after week and you go, that's easier said than done and I know it is easier said than done. But it's one of those things when you put into practice Thanksgiving, like last night we're just thanking God, you really begin to get a grateful heart you really begin to go, God, I actually am grateful. And when Daniel is facing the lion's den, he goes, I know by praying I'm going to be thrown to these lions, but he's like, my, my custom is a thank you. I'm not going to stop that custom just because I'm suffering. I'm not going to stop thanking you because you're still worthy of all prayer. And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, for you, for me. This is the will of God. So here's the, the, the point is celebrate and give thanks when we don't feel like it or in the midst of suffering. Not for it, but in it. 
And I think when you do this, you kind of, you get a different perspective on life. And we'll, we'll kind of close with some of that. But here's the third thought I want to leave you with. Listen, celebrate and give thanks because as we've talked about number three, uh, we are prone to forget. Why do we celebrate and give thanks? Why do we stop what we're doing to say, God, we want to thank you? Because as human beings, we are prone to forget. If you would turn to Luke 17, because it's a classic story that really exemplifies this. Uh, Luke 17, we are prone to forget the goodness and grace and amazingness of God. I don't know if that's a word, but I, I used it. Um, here's what one author says as you turn to Luke 17. He says, look closely and you will find that people are happy because they are grateful. The opposite of gratefulness is just taking everything for granted. The opposite of gratefulness is just taking everything for granted. Here's some guys, we're going to read a story that almost all of them took everything that Jesus did for them for granted. It's Luke 17, verse 11. Let's read this, we'll end with this story and end with this truth. Luke 17, verse 11, it says, And it happened, as Jesus uh, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. This is something that the Levitical law would say to do if you were to be cleansed. And so it was that, listen, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice, he glorified God and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, where, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any uh, found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, he said to this uh, Samaritan man who is healed of his leprosy, Arise, go your, go your way, your faith has made you well. We are prone to forget. This story is fascinating to me. Um, by the way, leprosy was something that as soon as you found out you had leprosy, you're just an outcast, kicked out of the city. You were as good as dead. You were just considered the walking dead. You could never touch another human being again. You could never go to the temple and worship God again. You were literally outside. The, so lepers would kind of congregate together because who else did they have to hang out with but themselves? And so these 10 lepers are together hanging out and they go, Jesus is coming through and they have mercy on us and Jesus has mercy on them. And I love this miracle because he does everything really uniquely. He's like, just go to the temple and show yourself to the priest. You're not to show yourself to the priest unless you were cleansed. So they're going with leprosy. And as they were going, they were cleansed. They were healed of their leprosy. And one comes back and runs to him and he's glorifying God and he's giving Jesus thanks. And Jesus goes, weren't there 10 of you? Why did only one of you come back? Like, I love that. He's like, it's funny. Like, is 10% are grateful in that moment? In that, in that story, 10%, really? Like only one out of 10 are grateful for what I've done? And he says, your faith has made you well. And actually, if you look at that, he's basically saying, not only your cleanse relieve your physical issues, but of your spiritual issues, your faith has made you well. Because all of them were made well. All of them were healed physically. But he's like, but you specifically are made well in a different way. And I love the focus. You're, he was a Samaritan. He was a foreigner. That might be because the other nine weren't. That might be because the, specifically that guy was a Samaritan in reference to the context. Most likely the other, one, other ones weren't. That this one Samaritan comes back. Jesus said, I came to my own. My own did not receive me. But here's a Samaritan the one who are outcasts of Jews who comes back and is thanking God and praising God. And this story is just, it just, I honestly feel like it just relates to mankind <laughs> in so many ways. Jesus does an amazing work in our lives. Jesus goes, I didn't just save you from leprosy, which is, would be terrible, but I've saved you from sin, hell, and death, and now you have eternal life. And he does an amazing work. And we see how many people come back and genuinely just say, thank you, God. How are we still amazed by the fact that God has forgiven us of our sins, saved us from eternal damnation, and given us new life. 
Are we still thankful? Are we still praising him? One came back and thanks him. One came back and praises him. And he goes, where are the other nine? And it's that question, that qu- questions from Jesus sometimes linger in your mind. You're like, yeah, where are the other nine? Where is the other group of people that are saying, God, thank you. Thank you for this work. Listen, why do we celebrate and give thanks? Because we are prone to forget. We're prone to forget the goodness of God in our lives. I know I'm like this. I'm like, God's been so good to me. And I'm like, but where's he been recently, huh? You know, like, God will be so good and like answer prayers. And I don't know how many times I forget to just thank him for answered prayers. And then I'm like, but I need him right now. And I'm, where is, and it's like, why am I prone to forget? We give thanks to God because as human beings, we are prone to forget. And we need to stop and slow down and say, God, thank you. So he, how do we do that? How do we practice Thanksgiving? A few thoughts. Here's some thoughts. Number one is this. Live in the moment, meaning just be aware of every moment. Be aware of the moment that you have, the, the beauty of life. I'm obviously reminded of this right now. Charles Spurgeon said something I thought was profound. I, I'm going to misquote it, but he basically said this idea of you want to be close to heaven, be close to those who are entering into it. You want to think about eternity you want to be present of your eternal destiny. Live with those. Be around those who are entering into it. We should be exposed to people who maybe are suffering and in pain and about to end this life and enter into the next because it just gives you, God, I want, to, I want to take every moment and appreciate it and, and just love it and thank you for it. And God, help me be present with my kids, my family, my church. And God, help me be present in the moment. How do we give thanks? Listen, begin now. Begin now. Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. Begin now. It's not maybe yesterday was really good. Tomorrow, I'm hoping, will be better. This is the day. Let's rejoice in that. Not just be living in the past, not just be looking to the future, but just say, God, thank you for today. I have today. Thank you. Be good now. Number three is this. Give thanks for the simple, everyday things. As I think as followers of Jesus practicing the way of Jesus, how do we just give thanks for everything? How do we, every, we look outside and we go, God, actually, thank you for this weather. Thank you for the birds. Thank you for, like, how do we actually have that kind of spirit? What if we had a thankful journal? We just wrote down, God, thank you, thank you. Thank. I just think God would just do an incredible perspective shift in our lives. Number four is this. Start every morning, and this is really true. Start every morning by giving thanks in prayer. I would love for this to become our habit of just every morning we wake up and we're just thankful for the breath in our lungs, thankful for the day. That we can, as Hebrews 13 says, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Every morning, just, uh, this is going to be the practice we try to do this week. Every morning, every moment, just thanking God right when we start our day. And listen, here's what I look at. Just courageous celebration versus contingent celebration. Meaning, um, you might not see in the moment something to celebrate. Maybe you celebrate if circumstances are good. Just in some ways celebrate in faith. In some ways just go, God, you know what? You're so good. You're going to do, you're going to do good. It's when the nation of Israel are facing the Red Sea and it's not opened up yet. And Miriam's like, let's just thank and praise God. And then the sea opens up. I think we should just have some kind of like celebration before he even does it. Let's just celebrate God before he does the great work. Say, God, thank you. Thank you. Because regardless, you're faithful. Like even with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we might be thrown into the fire, but God's going to deliver us. And if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to worship your God. Like just having that kind of not contingent faith, but courageous faith and celebration. And here's just a benediction Paul prays over the people in the church of Rome. And I want to just pray this over us. Listen, he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let that be so for us, church. Here's our practice and discipline this week. Every week we have one. Ready? Our practice is this. Throw a party. You're going to do that. It's Thanksgiving. But celebrate Jesus. Celebrate Jesus. Give thanks. I know we're going to have Thanksgiving, but just 
celebrate. You're like, I can tend to be cheap. Go a little bit more if you want. You know, like, this is the way to like celebrate. We should be the best at it. Uh, with that same thought, start every morning by giving thanks and prayer. That's really what I hope we can practice this week. Start every morning this light. And when you find yourself complaining, stop immediately and pray a small prayer, just thanking God. This is very hard. I'm like, I, this week I've been frustrated by some things. And I go, ah, God, help me. Just help me be thankful <laughs> right now. I think before you. I would love for us to practice this, take this on, and watch what God does for perspective. Watch what God does to our heart in that. He is so worthy, right? Church, is he so good? Is he so faithful? Does he not sing over you with rejoicing? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna end and sing back to him uh, with rejoicing and praise. So let's just do this. Let's pray. Would you guys stand with me actually right now? We're gonna stand. We're gonna pray. We're gonna thank God. And I'm gonna be quiet for a second. And just in your heart, in your heart, church, thank God right now. Bow your head, close your eyes. We'll be quiet. Start thanking God. Praise him. Thank him. Father, we want to thank you. We want to sing to you. God, your mercy is new every morning. God, it's your goodness that leads us to repentance. Thank you for your son Jesus who took our place, who died the death we should have died, who gave us new life. God, I I just ask over everyone in this room that you would help us practice these things, help us celebrate more, that we'd pray just prayers and moments of anxiety with thanksgiving. God, that we let our requests be made known to you. God, I just ask that as we thank you, as we celebrate you, as we celebrate together, that you remove a critical, cynical spirit, that God, you'd produce a heart that has genuine joy, that Jesus, we'd remember that at the end of the day, if we lose everything, we have you and we have everything. So we thank you. We praise you. There's no one like you, God. We just want to sing to you now and celebrate you now in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing. Let's praise God a little bit, and we'll close with some announcements.